As I'm getting started this morning, I'd like to, uh, first of all, take a moment to uh, thank the congregation for allowing Pastor Joel and I to, to head down to Louisville, Kentucky this past week to the Together for the Gospel conference. We had the pleasure of going down with, with several men from our church to sit under the teaching of, of men like John Piper and John MacArthur and Albert Moeller and uh, several other uh, godly men, men who have uh, been faithful to contend for the faith uh, here in this modern age. Uh, these, uh, we had the privilege of, of, of sitting under their teaching and also uh, during uh, immediately following the, the sessions, they would, they would sit on the stage and, and basically have a conversation about uh, what the message that, that had just been preached was about and, and, and the implications for us, those of us who were coming back to, to ministry. And it was uh, such a blessing to be there. There's so much to, to take in. It really is like drinking from a fire hydrant while you're down there. I mean, it's just, you know, bam, bam, bam. And you, you, you leave the sessions more with impressions of what you heard than necessarily being able to comprehend every single thing. You almost have to go back and, and look at your notes to remember the highlights. I, I remember coming away from some sessions where my, my immediate feeling was, man, I'm terrible. <laughs> you know, And others thinking, wow, I really want to do that. But then when I went back to look at my notes, I thought, man, there was so much more to it than just the impression that I came away with right away. Uh, but it was such a treat to be there. This was our, our third trip down, and I really think each one just keeps getting better. Uh, these men, uh, it's their heart's desire to see the church remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and the messages that they gave were around that. Uh, how do we stay faithful to the true gospel when all around us in our culture so many churches are, are adding to the gospel, are, are are minimizing the essentials of the gospel. And so for that opportunity, I, I thank you. It's not easy to let both pastors go at the same time to something like this, but I, I trust that the church will reap the, the benefits of our having been down there. And along those lines, for, for those of you men that went down with us, I want to remind you that we are no longer in Louisville, Kentucky. And I am not John MacArthur or C.J. Mahaney or Al Moeller, you have sat under excellent teaching uh, for men who are clearly anointed by God for the task, and you need to adjust your expectations accordingly. All right. Our scripture this morning is from the book of First Peter, and I'm going to be reading First Peter chapter three, verses thirteen through seventeen. First Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, 
having a good conscience, so that those who revile your good behavior in Christ, or so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for what is doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the knowledge that this is the truth. That though all that we see as far as the material things of this world will pass away, Your Word will endure forever. Lord, as we look into this passage from 1 Peter, I pray that Your Spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to the truth Lord, that we would recognize that this is not the words of of men, but the very words that are inspired by the Spirit of God. Lord, as I I seek to explain these truths, I, I pray that, Lord, that I would not be a distraction to the truth, but Lord, that You would help me to illustrate the truth in a way that brings home the importance of Your truth. Lord, it is not my desire that I be glorified this morning, but that You be glorified. So would You help me get out of the way? Guard us from distraction. Lord, guard us from pride. And guard us from despair. Because we have the one true hope. And we pray this in His name. Amen. Church history is is filled with men and women who have laid down their lives for the cause of Christ. And I want to read out a a few instances to you. And as you hear them, your, your first impression might be, man, that's depressing. But I hope by the time that we're done, when you think back over these examples that I'm going to give, that you're going to praise God for the example of these men and women who have gone before. In 1535, William Tyndall, you might recognize that name, was captured, strangled, and then burned for translating and smuggling 16,000 copies of the New Testament and parts of the Old Testament into England at the order of King Henry VII. As if strangling wasn't enough, he had to be burned. From 1553 to 1558, 300 Christians were burned at the stake and many others died in prison under the reign of Queen Mary, also known as Bloody Mary. The famous Puritan pastor John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, spent 12 years in prison for illegally preaching the Gospel. Slightly more contemporary examples. Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Uterin killed on Sunday, January 8, 1956, by the Harani tribe, the very tribe that they were trying to reach with the Gospel the same tribe that would be reached and evangelized by the wives of these fallen missionaries. It was common 
in the old days for, for missionaries who were going overseas to pack their belongings for the trip in a coffin because they recognized they would not be coming home. I'm sure the name Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata is familiar to most of you. And she's the example of, of, of someone who wasn't persecuted or killed for her faith, but someone who encountered suffering and, and tragedy in her life when she, diving into to shallow water, broke her neck and, and became paralyzed from the neck down. Someone who would have been easy to, to, to feel sorry for herself and, and, and to feel like her life was of no value because we live in a world that, that does not value anyone unless they can contribute to society. But, but no, this accident caused her to begin to, to search more deeply and to cling more tightly to her Savior, Jesus Christ. And now she is used of God to reach thousands and thousands with the message of the Gospel each year. There are countless examples of, of Christians who have given their lives or, or who have faced great adversity for the sake of the Gospel, are endured that adversity through the power of the Gospel. Perhaps even as I, I talk about these things, you have people that, that come to mind, people that you know personally who have endured persecution, who have endured struggles and trials, and, and their example of faithfulness has, has served to encourage you. If there were time, I would love to open it up and say, you know, just raise your hand and, and, and share about that person in your life whose struggle by faith caused you to grow in yours. But there's just not time. Have you ever wondered what enabled these people to suffer well? To die well for the sake of the Gospel. Has that ever crossed your mind? Have you ever thought, wow, how does Johnny Erickson Tata get up and do it every morning? Confined to a wheelchair for most of our life now. How does she get up in front of thousands and, and proclaim the greatness of God and, and the sovereignty of God when, when here she is, at, in the world's eyes, useless to society, but in God's sight, a, a priceless treasure? How does she do it? Is she some kind of super saint like Paul? What about the missionaries who, excuse me, during the Reformation were, were burned at the stake? And instead of rejecting the Gospel, to be set free endured the flames for the glory of God because they recognized that what they had in Jesus Christ far surpassed anything that they could gain or lose in this life, including their lives. Super-Christians? I don't think so. Normal folks like you and I. But they knew something that we need to know as followers of Christ in this day and age. I believe 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-17 through 17 gives us a peek at what it takes to have endurance and joy as followers of Christ. You see, the road to endurance takes us many places. 
For some, it, it leads to persecution. Not so much here in the States, but, but for some of us, mocked and ridiculed for what you believe. Undoubtedly, all of us are going to face some type of suffering in our lives unless Christ comes back beforehand. Death is a certainty for each and every one of us. Our own congregation is, 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 has been touched by sickness, illness, death, loss. So how as followers of Christ do we endure these things in a way that shows that, that Jesus is worth it all? One of the major themes in 1 Peter is how the example of Christ's suffering enables Christians to persevere during trials. And, and my hope this morning is, is, is that I want to pull out one main theme and then from that give you two points of application that are found here in the Scripture. But, but for us to, to truly appreciate what, what Peter's writing about here, we, we've got to get the theme first. We've got to understand what that key is for us to, to suffer and endure well. And, and even for that matter, to, to endure the good times well also. How do we have that perspective we need to be faithful as followers of Christ in a world that does not value the Gospel? I believe that's found in verse 15. Let me read that to you again, part of verse 15. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. What's the key to perseverance in this life? Quite simply, it is our attitude towards and our affections for Jesus Christ. Now, I want to make a distinction here because when you hear the word affections, it's easy to immediately go to the idea just of emotions. And we know, brothers and sisters, that our emotions at times can lead us astray. They are a, a good gift for God, from God, but if they are not harnessed and directed by the truth, then they can lead us all over the place. Just ask any teenager in love. Love. And guys, I joke because I've been there. No, affections are different than emotions because affections involve <clears throat> what we care about. The things that matter to us. It's an orientation towards something or someone. Easy example. I love my family with a fierce love. I love Angela, and I love Isaac, I love Caleb, I love Lydia. I have a direction towards them, a care about them that is fierce. Don't mess with them. But my emotions towards my family can fluctuate all over the place in a moment's notice. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You love them, but you want to strangle them. <laughs> you love them, but you have to discipline them. It hurts. So affections involve emotions, 
But affections go far beyond that. Affections are, are, are much more powerful and much more important in terms of understanding what our attitude towards Christ should be. When Peter writes about our hearts, clearly he's not speaking of the, the organ in our chest that pumps blood throughout our bodies, right? He, he's talking about our affections, the things that we care about, the things that we love. So when he says, in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, he's saying, in your hearts have an affection for Christ that sets Him apart from anything else in your heart. My friends, this is not the natural bent of our hearts. To even have that initial affection for Christ is a gift from the Spirit of God. But it is a gift that we cultivate as as we submit ourselves to God's Word and, and as we grow in faith and as we step out in obedience, that affection and desire to know Him more and more and to honor Him in what we do, it grows. We should never be content with where we are in regards to to Christ's place in our hearts. It is a fight, a struggle, a battle for us to keep Him where He ought to be. And my friends, if you're going to wait around till you feel that way naturally, forget about it. It ain't going to happen. So Peter says... Step one, in your hearts, recognize who He is. He is the Lord. Let's take a minute to talk about the person of Christ, this Lord who is is to be set apart. Perhaps your version says set apart or sanctify or honor Christ the Lord as, as holy in your hearts. Who is this Lord? Oftentimes here at Grace, we talk about the facts of the Gospel. Things that that each person must know and understand in order to respond appropriately to what Jesus has done for us. What are the facts of the Gospel? Number one, God exists. And He is offended by our sinfulness. Each one of us in this room have done things, continue to do things that are a front to God who is holy and perfect and there is no sin in Him. And each one of us stand condemned by God because God will not allow any sin to go unpunished. And so it is the default destination of every person who is born on this planet to become a child of wrath, the wrath of God. Until God, in His wisdom and in His perfect plan, sent His own Son, Jesus, to live the perfect life. In His time here on earth, 32, 33 years, Jesus not only did not sin, but He completely fulfilled the will of His Father. And I often marvel not at at the the perfect obedience, but but at the fact that He had to suffer sinners like you and me each and every day of His life. I can't stand myself for 24 hours. Imagine if I was sinless and had to deal with somebody like me. But Jesus came and He loved perfectly and He obeyed perfectly to the point of death. Yes, even death on a cross. 
And while He hung on that cross, the Father poured His wrath out against sin for each and every person who would believe. You see, God doesn't give a pass to those who believe. He's already punished that sin in His Son. And we've got to understand that. When we deceive ourselves into thinking that, okay, God looked down and He must have saw something good in me that He'd want to send His Son to die on the cross, you got it all wrong. Number one, you don't understand what an offense your sin is to God. And number two, you don't understand the effect of that sin in your life. You would have never come to Him. Even our best acts are tainted with sin. We were hopeless and helpless apart from Christ dying on the cross for our sins. He was our substitute. The Bible tells us that He died and was buried and three days later He rose from the grave as the proof that God was satisfied with the sacrifice of His Son. So that whoever comes to to faith in Him to understand that, that He is their hope, He is the only way to have the relationship with God restored, those that come to faith and depend and trust totally on what Christ has done, those are brought into the family of God. Your sins have been punished. And the wrath of God is spent so that He no longer looks through us through the lens of His judgment, but He sees us through the lens of His love. And everything that we face in our lives flow from that love. Everything. The darkest night that you have gone through, brother and sister in Christ, God is at work. You are not walking this road alone. Christ did not only die for our sins to pay the punishment that we deserved, but we, when we come to faith in Him, we receive credit for His righteous life. So not only are we seen as having our sins forgiven, but we are seen as totally righteous on the basis of what Jesus has done. How many of you feel totally righteous this morning? Good answer. But you are. The Bible says it's the case. Practically, we're still working this out. But in God's sight, He sees us through the finished work of what His Son has done. Accepted by God. It's not an excuse to live as we want to. It's the very power to set us free to live as we ought to, friends. We have to recognize who we are in Christ and what He's done for us. This Jesus is the Jesus that Peter says set apart as Lord. The Jesus before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord of all is the one that Peter says set Him apart in your hearts as holy. Set Him apart as the only one that you will worship. The only one that you will serve. If our hearts, if our affections aren't going in that direction, there's no way. Forget about it. There's no way we can endure what this life has to offer if our affections are elsewhere. If our affections, our greatest loves are for the horizontal things in this life, And it's a temptation for all of us that when we face suffering, when we face persecution, when those things come upon us, we will have no hope even though hope has been provided for us. 
Fathers, you and I cannot love our wives and our children as we ought until our affections are first and foremost placed on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We talked about this in Sunday school with the junior high students this morning. We were looking at at, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and it ends with that great phrase, Our God is a consuming fire. And that's in the context of, of talking about the worship of God. And as we were talking about it, it dawned on me. It's like the light switch went on. and God is consuming when we worship Him in reverence and awe, when our hearts, our affections are set where they ought to be. Because when we see Him as He is and honor Him as such, that begins to affect everything else in our lives. When I am consumed with the glory of Christ in how I live, I am going to love my wife as Christ loved the church. When I am consumed with the person of Jesus Christ and He is set apart as as holy in my life and in my heart, He is my top recipient of my affections. When that is true of me, then I parent my children in a way that is not exasperating to them, but in a way that shows them as Christ as glorious. It'll make you the person that Christ died for you to be. This is not a works-based salvation. This is a response to the immeasurable grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. When we set apart or sanctify or honor Christ the Lord in our hearts as holy, when He is the object of our greatest affection, then it sets us free, my friends, to be the people that we ought to be. Christ did not promise an easy life. And quite quite differently, he, He promised the opposite, that there would be trouble in this life, that there would be trials in this life. And how we respond oftentimes reflects what the object or who the object of our affections are. We, we talked about this uh, back in January when I, when I spoke from, from 1 Peter chapter 4. That the object of our worship oftentimes is revealed when we rub up against the stressful times in life. It, it, it exposes what we really care about and what we depend on. What we run to to escape from reality reflects what we love the most. And so the battle for each one of us each and every day is is to think about, okay, when you wake up in the morning, what does it look like today to to have Christ set apart as, as the object of my true affection? How can I glorify Him today? And we pray and we ask for help and we, we search the Scriptures and we, we cling to the promises that we find there and, and we recognize that when we fail, we are covered by the grace of Christ and, and when we succeed, it's, it's in the power of Christ that we do it. But we get up each and every day and we pray and we ask God to lo- help us love Him a little bit more. Christ, how can I, how can I set You apart as holy in, in how I deal with with my wife and my kids, or, or, or my time here at the office where, where I'm here by myself. Nobody knows what I'm doing. How can I set Christ apart as holy? How can I do that in the relationships with the people I come in contact with? 
You see, our lives will have a flavor about them that, that, that will have either a drawing effect on those around us because we are set on Christ or perhaps even a, a, an effect that is somewhat repulsive because they reject Christ who is within us. Where are your affections this morning? Are they set on Christ? We live in a time when few Christians and perhaps even fewer churches get this right. I am so thankful to be a part of this body. We're not perfect. Nobody here would admit it. I am thankful for Pastor Joel and his leadership. I'm thankful for the elders. I'm thankful for the families that make up this church. Because the gospel is something that remains central to who we are as the body of Christ. A quick search on the internet will reveal to you how many churches are straying from the the purity of the gospel and going to other things. Marketing techniques. Preaching along the lines of of a movie series. And it's not my goal to throw stones but hopefully in you to, to cultivate a, an appreciation for, for God's grace in the life of this church because we try to emphasize the Gospel because it is our only hope. And I know, I know just in a group this size that there are people here that are deceived, that perhaps think they're saved based on their works or who are outright, outright rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you for a moment as someone who spent much of his life deceived. There is nothing, nothing that you are pursuing nothing that you love Nothing that you want that compares to the greatness of Jesus Christ. We are so glad you're here, but you are an object of wrath. But God has provided the way for the punishment that you deserve, the punishment that I deserved, to be forgiven, to be dealt with. He has provided a way not just to forgive your sins, but to bring you into the family of God. And that happens as we trust what He has done. We recognize that, yes, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve hell. But God in His mercy has provided a way for us to get mercy and grace and love, acceptance. Do not let this day pass without you considering where you stand before a holy God. And you run to the Savior. You accept what He has done and you join the body of Christ because this is God's will. I don't know who you are, but it's likely that you do. 
After the service, there's somebody going to be down front who would love to pray with you. You are not saved by coming down front. You are saved by totally depending on what Jesus has done for you. When I pray in a little while, you can pray at your seats. You can come up. You have questions. There'll be someone down front. But this should be the day that you embrace Christ as your Savior. Don't let it get away. I want to read some lyrics from a song that we're going to be learning soon. I have no doubt we learned it when we were down at the conference. This is from the song, All I Have is Christ by Jordan Coughlin. And this describes our life before Christ. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. That is true for every child of God. There are some implications for having affections that are set on Jesus Christ. And there are two that I want to focus on from the text, and I'm going to go rather quickly. First of all, it's the reality of of trials in this life. How are we going to respond to the trials that we face? If you look at verse 13 and 14, Peter asked the question, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And, and Peter asking that question, it's, it's kind of a rhetorical question. He, he's making the case of God's sovereignty, a reality that, that each one of us must cling to as followers of Christ. Because as we know, life can be difficult. But as we go through this life with the understanding that that there is nothing that that can or will happen to us outside of uh, of God's sovereignty, then that gives us comfort to to continue to, to view Christ as we ought, to have the proper affections for Him. Now, 1 Peter is written primarily to the context of those who are are being persecuted, who are suffering for their faith. It's likely in, in the context of 1 Peter that it was more, more scorn and shame than it was imprisonment and beating, which went on in other places. But still, Peter is writing to, to, to encourage them to, to be brave, to stand firm, to stay the course. But that same principle applies to the suffering that we face as well. It, it, it applies to those dark times that we go through when kids rebel, when the news from the doctor is not good, when lives end, when we honor Christ as Lord in our hearts, we find the strength that we need to finish well. 
It's oftentimes during suffering and suffering well when those outside the faith look and they see the true value of what it means to know and follow Christ. I'm not talking about a brave face where we deny grief or even fear. But I'm talking about a genuine trust that is okay expressing concern and doubts, but ultimately finds its comfort and its strength in the risen Lord. It's not easy. God never said it would be, and, I, and I'm certainly not here to, especially in light of, of the events that have happened in this church over, over the past few months, in the past few years, I would never stand before you and, and be glib about suffering. It's, surely it's nothing that, that any of us want to experience, but the reality of it is that we will. But the call in our lives is to suffer by faith. To, to, to trust in a way that, that even those on the outside looking in can say, I'm not sure if I agree with what they say they believe. But man, it's real. It's real. In regards to persecution, as I was reading and studying this passage, I found my mind wandering to, you know, what, what would the church in America look like if things were a little more dire? maybe like they are in other places in the world. We are an anomaly. Pastor Joel has said that several times before. America is not like any other nation in the world. We have freedom here, religiously speaking, that no one else enjoys in the entire world. But I wonder what the church would look like if things were like they are in the Sudan, where there are extremists trying to kill Christians at every turn. What would our faith look like? How full would the benches be if we could die for our faith? And that was an ever-present reality. Would we cling more tightly to the promises that we find in His Word? I hope so. How would we reject? It's not safe being a Christian. Friends, it's not safe being a Christian in the world's eyes. But for the follower of Christ, we know that, that our best life lies ahead, not now. God is sovereign over suffering, brothers and sisters, and as you face it, as a fellow struggler in this life, let me encourage you, plead with you, cling to Christ. Trust in His goodness. Rejoice in eternity because that's what matters most. I said earlier that if we live long enough, each of us will face suffering. And friends, we have people around us, brothers and sisters in Christ in this very room who are facing suffering right now or who have gone through it recently. What an opportunity for us to be the body of Christ and to walk with one another down this road. Part of One of the beauties of the church is the one another passages that we find in Scripture which talk about how we are to relate to one another in the body of Christ. This week, 
make it your goal to reach out and support those in this church that you know are suffering. Let them know how much we love them. Remind them of the promises of God. Bear this burden with them. Secondly, and our, the second implication is that we find our enduring witness in having Christ sanctified as Lord of our hearts. When Christ has His proper place in our lives, people will want to know about the hope that is within us. In some cases, it will have a drawing effect and others will face hostility. But when Christ is not set apart, we will have no effect on those around us because they will see no difference in us than them. Why would they look for a hope in us that they feel like they can get on their own? If Christ doesn't matter to us, why would He matter to them? It's a simple principle, but the implications of seeing that played out in our lives are vast. Peter calls us to, 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 to have that witness with respect and gentleness to, in, in such a way that, that has a drawing power. I know my default response to, to uh, when people are taking issue with me or a disagreement, gentleness is not what usually comes to mind. I, I want to I win the argument. We see this very clearly in the political realm. It's so easy to, to, to rant and rave about those who are, are doing things contrary to what we believe and it should trouble us but it should not surprise us. They're lost. But our witness, our interaction with those that we come in contact with, even in rebuke, should, should have an air of gentleness and, and meekness and love about it because we are recipients of the grace of God. The only difference between us and those that we seek to minister to is that we have received a gift. When we think that we've earned it or we deserve it, then we are of no good to those that we are trying to reach. We come, as C.S. Lewis puts it, as, as one beggar bringing bread to another. And that must be our attitude. Peter also says that, that we should have a good conscience. That means integrity. As we seek to share the message, we don't put on air seeking to be something that we're not. As I stated earlier, None of us are righteous in ourselves. We have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It has been given to us. And as I heard said this morning, or this past week, I can't remember which speaker it was, even our repentance is stained with sin. It, it's worse than you think. So as we seek to share the truth of the gospel with those around us, we do it in a way that says, hey, I know I don't have it all together, but I have found the one who does. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you how he has changed my life. I'm not perfect. I will not be in this life. But I have received a, a perfection that is far greater than, than any kind of effort I can bring about. The power of sin in our lives cannot be broken by the law. It can only be broken by a greater affection, and that's our love for Jesus Christ. Who saves us? Jesus. What do we add to it? Absolutely nothing. A few moments ago I read from the song, All I Have is Christ, and I want to read the third verse. And I want this to be our prayer, so listen closely. 
Now, Lord, I would be Yours alone and live so all might see the strength to follow Your commands could never come from me. O Father, use my ransomed life in any way You choose and let my song forever be my only boast is You. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. Let's pray together. Lord, if there were hours to speak of the excellencies of Christ, I fear I could not rise to the occasion. Whatever effort I could make to show Jesus as glorious, Lord, I know is tainted by my sin, but I pray that in spite of that, that Your Spirit would confirm the truth of the Gospel in the lives of these dear people. Lord, for those that are in Christ, those that are in the faith, Lord, would You help them to see all that Jesus is for them, Lord, that they would worship Him and honor Him as the one true love in their life of first importance to them. Lord, for those that are in the faith that have, have, have been deceived and perhaps are even compromising right now, Lord, would You help them to see the foolishness of their decisions? Lord, would You help them to see that, that, that apart from Your work and apart from the good things that are found in Your Word, Lord, that their life will be wasted. And we do not want to waste our lives, Lord. We want to spend them for Your glory. Oh, Father, for those that are here that are rejecting or resisting the truth, I pray that Your Spirit would break them down. Lord, that there would be no escape from this pressing need to know the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Would You hound them, Lord, for their good and for Your glory? Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. May it transform our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.